Well, if you own a home or if you want to own a home post-divorce, divorce mortgage planning is crucial because you've got to understand what the qualification process is. A lot of people believe that because they have a mortgage currently, they're not going to have a problem getting another mortgage. And that is not the case. You still have to qualify. Hey, hey, welcome to the WTF Divorce Podcast. My name is Rob Roseman. On this show, we talk about everything divorce, whether you're thinking about divorce, going through it, or figuring out life after. Divorce, co-parenting, dating, we cover it all and break it into short clips so it's easy for you to find and learn from. If you want more help, head on over to WTFDivorce.com. Thanks for listening. On to today's show. Real quick, let's talk about the sponsor. Today's WTF Divorce episode is brought to you by Soberlink. If you're going through a divorce and custody case involving alcohol, Soberlink is the solution for you. More on Soberlink at the end of the show. Now on to today's episode. All right, welcome to WTF Divorce. Today we are talking to Jennifer Brown. Jennifer is a certified divorce lending professional. How's it going today, Jennifer? Hey Rob, doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So this is a, a busy time, December. We got the holidays going on, but what I've learned is this is kind of a buildup to a big divorce season as well. And maybe that comes in January. Is that something you see in your industry? That's right. Apparently, uh, I, I don't want to misspeak, but I think they call it Blue Monday, maybe the first Monday after the new year. And it's like the highest day for people to start looking into divorce. So yeah, January is a very busy time for family law and professionals and mediators. Yeah. I think we're all in like this survival mode of let's get through the holidays. We're going to see family. We've got gifts. We want to keep the kids happy. And then I guess it all, you know, the balloon pops and it's like back to reality in January. That's right. Yeah. So, so a lot of kicking the can down the road during December. Yes, or, or for years before, as we as we learn, people apparently uh, women specifically I hear think about this for average of could be up to like six years before a divorce actually happens. So there is a lot of planning, even though a lot of times it seems like a surprise. Uh, but we're we're really here to talk about today, and we're calling this the Unspouse Your House series because it seems like we're an unusual, unprecedented place with mortgage rates being this high. And that's a big part of divorce is who gets the house? Where am I going to live? Talk a little bit about what you're seeing with the clients today. Well, I think the number one thing that we're seeing is, is the unintended consequence of set 4% interest rates. So it really set very unrealistic expectation about what housing really costs. So you have a situation where we're having to readjust homeowners' expectations about what it costs to have a home. So right now, it's completely unrealistic to have a half million dollar mortgage that's under $3,000 a month with taxes and insurance. However, that's what some people actually have because they were able to take advantage of those low interest rates. So that's one of our biggest obstacles is resetting the divorcing couple's expectations about what housing is going to cost them post-divorce. Because a lot of times uh, one person is leaving the house or both people are leaving the house and they're having to sell it, which, you know, could be a boon. That's like, oh, we doubled the price on our house. But as you said, now we have to go find a new place with new rates. So what are uh, the ways that, that people 
can unspouse their house? How are they getting out of uh, the divorce and house process? Well, in some situations, you may have some equity offset through some other assets. So let's say that you do have a half million dollar home. You may owe 300 on it. So you've got 200 in equity. Both party would be obviously entitled to 100,000 the equity. So you may have a party who says, well, I'll do, I'll keep the house, I'll retain the home, and then I will give you $100,000 out of a retirement account, or maybe I'll forego taking $100,000 out of your retirement account, and that way it all comes out in a wash, so to speak, without having to increase your mortgage payment or increase your mortgage balance, which is going to in turn increase your mortgage payment. So we might, if if it's an amicable situation, we might suggest a future refinance date. So uh, a lot of times you may have children that are school age and let's say you have another four years, right? And the children are going to be graduated and out of the house. So you may say, well, I'm going to agree to let you keep the current mortgage financing in place and that we can preserve the low interest rate, the low payment. And then we're going to either refinance or sell at some point in a later date. Obviously, that requires a huge amount of trust because you're going to remain obligated on the mortgage, and that could impact your credit if the other person who's responsible for making the housing payment does not. So it's not going to work for everybody, but it certainly is an option because what a lot of people don't know is if that debt Rob is assigned to you, for instance, then your ex can go out and purchase another home without that housing payment counting against them and their debt's income ratio. We do not include it. It's considered a contingent liability and it's basically overlooked in the qualification process. So it wouldn't be a deterrent from you being able to move on and purchase your own home. What about the person that says, okay, I'll, I'll give you a hundred thousand. You're out. It's nice and clean. But it seems like today, you know, maybe five years ago, it's like, oh, I could take that 100000 get a down payment, get reset up. Now it seems like the leverage is a little different where do you talk to clients like maybe that's not the best setup because, you know, I, I imagine there's a lot of people getting divorced thinking, where am I going to live now? A lot of that for sure is going on. And again, it's resetting expectations during that transition period. So... You, you may get your $100,000 and you may decide, I'm not going to go out and purchase something right now. A lot of people want to stay, let's say, in the same school district for co-parenting reasons. So they may not be able to afford another home in that area. So renting may be their only choice for the foreseeable future until either home prices come down or until interest rates come down. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea to go into a rental situation, even if it's temporarily, just to regroup, if you will. How important is this to, I know there's so many balls in the air when you're negotiating your divorce to speak to, and your lawyer isn't always the best person to handle all this. How important is it to work with a specialist like you in this situation? Well, if you own a home or if you want to own a home post-divorce, divorce mortgage planning is crucial because you've got to understand what the qualification process is. A lot of people believe that because they have a mortgage currently, they're not going to have a problem getting another mortgage. And that is not the case. You still have to qualify. And we, we have a lot of people call us asking about assumptions. Most mortgages are not assumable. 
FHA loans are assumable, VA loans are assumable, conventional loans, unless they're adjustable rate mortgages, are not assumable. It is at the servicer's discretion if they will allow that mortgage to be assumed. They don't have to let someone assume it, but you still have to get through a qualification process. Unfortunately, they won't even let you start that process until you finalize your divorce. So if you agree to do something, your divorce decree, with an unknown of what you may or may not be able to do, that could be a problem later because you could be in contempt of court, forced to sell the home. And then you may be forced to sell the home and you can't qualify for a traditional mortgage because you didn't set your qualifying income up correctly. Are you seeing uh, some, some horror stories of people that get divorced and they're like, oh shit, now what? Well, I actually had a client call yesterday who needed both child support and alimony to qualify. And while they had the proper continuance for the child support, they did not have the proper continuance for the alimony. And what that means is, is that in order for us to consider child support and alimony qualifying income, you have to have received it for six months on a consistent and stable basis. Then it also has to continue for another 36 months after your mortgage note date. So unfortunately, she was outside of that window for her alimony. So we were left with only the child support to qualify and it was not enough. Uh, so unfortunately, in that situation, we weren't involved early enough to help make sure that all the timelines were properly set up, established so that the refinance could happen within the time frame required. You talk about timelines, so it sounds like a, a talking to a mortgage broker should be one of the first things that you do when you're starting the divorce process? I believe it should be one of the first things you do if housing is important to you. So if you have no desire to retain the marital home or you have no desire to go back out and immediately purchase, then it's probably not the most important thing for you. But if you want to retain the marital home, or you at least want to explore what your options are. So you can pick a lane, as another divorcing client said to me yesterday, and I thought that was interesting. She said, look, I just need to pick a lane, and I can't pick a lane if I don't know what my options are. So it's very true in that respect that housing is, is important. You need to know where you're going to live, and so you need to make sure that you're going to qualify for what you want, and if you don't qualify for what you want, that you have a good backup. Yeah, when you say backup, are there people that do explore their options and say, I don't even know if I can afford to get divorced right now, or divorce rates going to be slowing down at this rate? Well, I'm sure that a lot of people don't get divorced for financial reasons. A lot of people probably just suck it up and grind it out, as we say. But you are seeing an epidemic across the country. There was actually an article in the Wall Street Journal about it last week, where Divorcing couples are continuing to cohabitate. So they have these, these rules. They, uh, they don't do each other's laundry. They don't share food. So they, you know, they have their own laundry day. This is my show for the refrigerator. Um, you know, in Georgia, there are lots of homes have basements, which is great because you can say, well, you live in the basement. I'm going to live on the main floor, but. This also went on back during the, the housing crash. And so people didn't not get divorced. They just got more creative with how they were going to, what their housing was going to look like. Now, 
I've never been divorced, but I can't imagine kind of my husband living in the basement and bring his girlfriend over, right? <laughs> I think that would end up in like maybe me being, you know, an episode of Pops or Big <laughs> Line 2020. I don't know, you know, but. You know, so, but it is happening right now because we're kind of in this weird, it's the double whammy, right? Where you've got really high home values and now we have higher interest rates than we've seen in quite some time. Yeah. And I imagine staying at home, say, okay, we got to live together more. It's probably also going to make you want to get divorced more. It's like this vicious cycle that you're in of like, uh, what do we do? So I think there are a lot of people that are financially stressed, emotionally stressed. Talk about, uh, so you're part of the Amicable Divorce Network. And I know a lot of people don't even know where to start with picking a lawyer. Uh, and they could end up in these long, contentious, expensive divorces. It seems like, uh, talk about what they do at the Amicable Divorce Network and how that type of divorce might, you know, lend itself in times like this. Well, the one thing that I really enjoy about working within the amicable divorce network is you've got two parties who have agreed that the marriage is over but it's not contentious they're not angry they're not trying to put each other through the ringer they're they're trying to you know be respectful of each other and the process and you know there's nothing gets lost in translation when i talk typically with the true amicable divorcing couple because we typically have a conference call and we lay out here's this here's what the situation is. Here's what it would look like if you did an equity buyout refinance and made a clean break. Here's what it would look like if you agreed to retain the current mortgage financing for three years or four years or whatever that might look like. But I think that when you've got people who are more interested in the overall good at the entire family unit, they're more willing to work with trying to preserve the mortgage financing that they have now. And a lot of times that's easily accomplished if you are in a high trust situation. And, and that, so that's what I enjoy about it is, is that it, it's difficult for people who are being forced into, uh, I have to give up this, my mortgage, my healthy payment's going to double, but I don't really have a choice because what are my options? I can, sell my home. And yes, I may have a lot of money, but I can't go out and buy another home like the one that I have now because I'm priced out of the market and I, I can't go rent something that's comparable. Right. So mm. that that's what I like about working with Amicable Divorce Network is that you don't have people trying to blow things in, you know? And it sounds like when you work with uh, two divorce lawyers who are part of the network, uh, you're, you're including other parts of like this team where, oh, we have mortgage brokers that are, you know, certified in divorce. So it's like, you're kind of, sounds like you're hiring like a team or you've got the potential to work with a team instead of just, I got this lawyer, whatever they say goes. That's correct. We are 100% a part of the team and they value our perspectives and our opinion. And they're, they come to us and say, here's the situation. What do you recommend? So the first thing that I want to know is, is, well, what is your intent? Do you, does somebody want to keep the home? And then we try to work from there. So we try to, we try to structure everything so that everybody is able to get as much of what they want as they can in the end result, because that's really what being amicable is about, right? 
Yeah. I mean, we all think divorce is so contentious and it is emotional and you're not going to be, you know, best friends with your uh, soon to be ex when you're going through it. But there is a smoother way to go about it where you both, you know, benefit and most importantly, the kids benefit. You can just sounds like smooth out the divorce uh, a lot easier this way. Absolutely. And it's just not, I mean, it's like anything. He wants to work with a bunch of contentious mad people. Nobody. So when a client comes to me, I go back with their permission, obviously, and share my recommendation. Then they talk about it with opposing counsel. Hey, does this work for your client? Is there, you know, can, can we, can, can we come up with some sort of compromise where everybody's going to be happy? And so that's really what we try to do. We try to take a holistic approach. We look at everything. What are your assets? You know, what's the income like? What's the support going to look like? And how do we structure that and say that everybody's able to move on and find whatever housing is best for them post-divorce? The one thing that comes up a lot is I'm a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad. I didn't know I was getting divorced. Now what? Because now, especially, it sounds like I need certain qualifications to get a house. Like, do you, do you find that a lot? And what kind of advice would you give a stay-at-home parent? I do get that question quite often because it's obviously very common when you have young children, especially if you have multiple young children, it might make more sense for one spouse to leave the workforce to take care of the children. So when you may get blindsided by this, you think, okay, well, what am I going to do? Well, you're probably going to have to return to the workforce. And there is a misconception that you have to be back in the workforce for a specific period of time before you can qualify for a mortgage. And that's not necessarily the case. It is the case with some government programs, but a conventional financing, Fannie and Freddie are silent on return to work. So they don't have a specified time frame. It just has to make sense. So let's say you were a registered nurse before leaving the workforce. Obviously, you have an education to do that. You have a work history. We just need a two-year work history before you left the workforce. So you could have worked for two years, been out of the workforce for six years, and you get a job working immediately. We're going to use that income to qualify. But key is, is it has to be stable and consistent. So hourly income is not necessarily considered stable and consistent. Commission income definitely is not considered stable and consistent. Bonus income is not considered stable and consistent. You need two-year history of all those things. So if you're going to return to the workforce and you need that income to qualify, then you need to make sure that you take a salary position. So those are the types of things that we counsel clients with. We also talk to them about support income. Well, you may have children that are older, and they may be aging out before that 36-month continuous is going to be met. So let's say you have a 16-year-old. Well, in th 36 months, they're going to be 19. So they're going to be outside typically, which you're going to get in child support. So we might talk to you in an amicable situation. They're going to be much more open to this. Hey, let's see if we can reallocate some of that child support as alimony. That way we can have a longer continuance. And then that way we can use it as qualifying income. But in order for us to have the impact that we need for our clients who want to either refinance or purchase, we have to be brought in in the beginning. Right. It's too late when it goes, the judge has signed it, and then that's when we're, we get into trouble. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, to get 
creative, you have to start early and you have to work with, you know, specialists. Your lawyer isn't necessarily going to be thinking about this stuff and have all of your best interests in mind. Right. And another thing that we talk with our clients about sometimes is, have you vetted the house? And that is one of the first questions that I ask when I'm talking to a divorcing um, spouse who wants to retain the home. Have you had a home inspection? That's one of the number one things that we talk about because uh, the expense of a home goes, as you know, well beyond your actual mortgage payment, your property taxes, your homeowner's insurance, and in some cases, your homeowner's association. These. So you have maintenance on a home that can be very expensive. But if you have a lot of deferred maintenance in the home and you've agreed to an equity buyout right now, well, that deferred maintenance is going to have to be addressed at some point. So going back to our example before, if you've got a $500,000 home, you owe three hundred. Got two hundred in, in equity, but you have fifty thousand dollars in deferred maintenance. Well, you really only have a hundred fifty thousand in equity, and those are things that you have to think about because that's those are real dollars. Just because you're not realizing them right now, they will be an expense in the future. And you know, a couple of HVAC units and a roof, you're easily at fifty grand. So you're saying there are a lot of people that say, I want to stay in the house. Can you afford it? Yes, at this rate. But then three months later, get hit with the bill and realize I can't afford to be in this house. I can't pay for it. And those are the kind of things you need to really think about beforehand. That's right. And we try to walk those divorcing couples through that process because let's face it, you're probably not thinking about your HVAC unit dying when you're going through a divorce, <laughs> you, you know? You're probably not thinking about what the lifetime of your roof is when you're going through a divorce, but but that's what we're here for, to be pragmatic and help you really think through the long-term financial impacts of retaining a marital home, or even what you might go out and purchase. So if you have one person, typically, this is the way that it works, you've got one person, either the husband or the wife, that's more handy, they do more the maintenance type things around the house. Well, if that's not you, and you're moving on and purchasing something new, then you might want to purchase something that's low maintenance, like a townhome where the yard work is taken care of and your HOA dues or the master insurance policy covers the roof and things like that. So it's more of a, I think it gets for us a little bit beyond just planning for the mortgage that you have right now. Do you want to keep it or do you, you know, want to keep the house, but gets through this more like, let's talk about your long-term financial plan and what's going to be the best for you to get there because your housing is a large expense. It's going to have a big impact on your financial future. Yeah. And as you mentioned there, your brain is so scrambled. You're so stressed. You probably are not thinking about your HVAC in, in two years when you're getting divorced. You just want it done, but like those things can really come back to bite you. And once those papers are signed, it's a lot harder to make changes, right? Absolutely. It and, and there's so many things that you wouldn't think about. Homeowners insurance is one. I mean, we have people call us and they say, uh, I want to retain the marital home. Well, they're not on the insurance policy. So we say, Well, hey, you need to really quick, you know, you need to go ahead and have, you know, insurance in your name because what if something happens? while you guys are in your transition period and you're not sure that's a problem yeah a lot to think about and i think that's what we're learning is 
take your time, talk to a professional, gather a team. And as you said, that's one great thing about the Amicable Divorce Network is that team is kind of built in. They can pair you off with people in your area. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much. Tell people where they can find you. Hey, Rob. Well, thanks for having me again. So you can find me on my website, www.jenniferbbrown.com. Um, I'm with Neighborhood Mortgage. We're here in Alpharetta, Georgia, but I'm also licensed in Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, and soon to be South Carolina. Um, so don't uh, don't hesitate to reach out. If any of your listeners or viewers have any questions, uh, I'm here to help. Even in, in a state that I'm not licensed in, I, I do have access to a lot of other certified divorce letting professionals through the Amicable Divorce Network. So I can definitely connect you with someone in your area if you have questions that I can answer that are state-specific. Yes, I always tell people education, knowledge is power. It's the most important thing. Uh, anybody listening that's curious about the Amicable Divorce Network, you can go to www.amicabledivorcenetwork.com. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Rob. Take care. It comes as no surprise that not all divorces are created equal. While some divorces are collaborative and amicable, others are painful, accusatory, and may simply have you thinking, what the F? If you're co-parenting with an ex-spouse who abuses alcohol, this is a sobering reality. The folks at Soberlink want to help. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. The system's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test, so you can be confident that your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. The WTF Divorce Community is here to help shed light on the fact that whatever you're going through, you are not alone. If Soberlink is reaching you at the exact time that you need it, visit www.soberlink.com WTF to sign up and get $50 off your device. That's www.soberlink.com WTF.